for Melbourne Cups. It goes no further, and this guy knows all about them. He has called 29 of them, and that is extraordinary. And we say good evening to Brian Martin. G'day, Brian. G'day, gents. Good to talk to you. Oh, thank oh, you for joining us. Hearing that voice again already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still here. It's still going. Oh, very good. Uh, how was your uh, Melbourne Cup experience, Brian? Was it uh, enjoyable? Uh, no, I backed instead of ice. Well, so did the rest of the country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, had a good crack at it and uh, took a quaddy and put nine in the first leg, which was a cup and left uh, very elegant out. So I'm a slow learner. I've been around a long time. How I left around, I'll never know. But uh, I was happy to see the end of it. But it was a fabulous race, really. Uh, as I said to Jack earlier, it uh, really was one for the ages, like a winning margin like that. Um, and she's now won the Caulfield Cup last year and the Melbourne Cup this year. Uh, you know, only great handicap racehorses can do that. And she's a mare with 57 kilos and she ran one of the quickest times ever. Um, you know, all power to her. She was just, she was invincible on the day. She was mighty. Brian was here. What's probably your best sort of Melbourne Cup that you've seen? I know in hindsight we, it's easy to look back and see very elegant, what, nine group ones, so should have been a, a red-hot chance, but what's been your best over the years? Oh, well, I think, uh, you know, calling particularly, I've, I've been watching them since I was a little boy and I've seen some mighty performances, but uh, the most emotional and the most moving uh, one was 2002 when Damien Oliver won a media puzzle and he'd lost his brother in a race fall only three days earlier. Um, and it took a tough, tough sportsman to come back and, you know, with the emotion of, of giving it, it the best ride, and he did. And I still still have that image of uh, that horse winning and calling it. Um, and when, when he came back to scale, the camaraderie from other jockeys, including the Irish jockeys, they came up, they wrapped their arms around him on horseback, and I can still see them standing at the gate waiting to come back to scale. And just describing that on, on radio at the time, I, I had a tear rolling down my cheek because it was just one of those magical moments in sport. But I suppose the most heroic win was the Kybe Diva in 2005 with 58 kilos, and she created so many records, but particularly to be the only horse in the history of the race to win three Melbourne Cups and to do it back-to-back each year. So that's probably the greatest performance I've seen and uh, very privileged to be there as a broadcaster to uh, relay that uh, that call on that particular day. But there's some, been some great ones. Might and Power in 1997, getting home in a photo finish and Dunedin in 2010. Uh, no, American 2010, Dunedin a couple of years later, getting up in the closest finish in the race. So it's a race that's got it all. It's just a privilege to be uh, in a position to, to broadcast and I've, I've loved every moment actually. Well, I'm remembering those winners mainly because I back the ones that come second all the time <laughs> um, the, the whole racehorse environment at the moment the calling, the show that's put on are you surprised that it's gone as far as it has and the amount of people that are involved and into it now And are you, are you happy with where it's gone and how it's been called at the moment? Yeah, um, particularly the fact that it could be uh, sustained through COVID because many other industries couldn't um, and it's been very difficult for thousands and thousands of people, as we know. Uh, The racing industry is so, um, you know, so reliant on, um, on people working in all different areas of the industry. It's one of the biggest employers in Australia. So the fact that in the major cities like uh, Melbourne and Sydney and, and Brisbane, um, they've been able to keep going. Uh, and I think it's a testament to the industry and the management and keeping the protocol into place. And uh, it's gone very close a couple of times. It's, uh, you know, just one 
one bad um, negative sort of uh, test within the environment could have shut the whole place down and that would have been disastrous for the industry. Um, you know, horses have got to be fed, they've got to be exercised. Um, I own a lot of horses in the syndicates. Uh, we have to continue. We want to keep racing. You know, we're going to race for prize money for the horses to pay for um, pay for the training, which is expensive. So it's a it's a real knock on effect. And um, the fact that the industry is able to keep going through this very very difficult time uh, is really a testament to management uh, by the industry and, and the government. But keep in mind, had the industry you know shut down, the government lose a lot of money in the taxes that. Um, come in and, and, the, and the sort of, you know, the, the uh, continual stream of money through racing going on that comes back into government copper. So it was in their best interest to make sure it still continued to, uh, to happen. But I'm glad it did. Uh, it was great to see that 10,000 people could get to the Melbourne Cup. You know, we ran the Cup before a closed uh, empty stand last year and um, it was very eerie. Um, and here we are, we got, you know, some 10% of what we could get uh, back at the races for a beautiful day yesterday. So uh, we've been lucky. We've dodged a, dodged a few bullets along the way. Uh, Brian, it's Alex here. It's pretty extraordinary Hi, scenes um, to see, yeah, as you say, yesterday. But how do you go actually watching it as a spectator now? And how's that experience been over the past four years? We've sort of heard someone like Bruce McAvaney talk about watching the grand final and getting a bit itchy and antsy and wanting to jump on it and call it himself. So how do you go just sitting back and being a spectator these days? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. I retired in 2017. I retired in 2007 and SEN got me out of retirement to come back in 2010. So I got an additional seven cups from 2010 to 2017. But I just knew on the day in 2017, this was my last. I didn't even tell my wife, actually, but I just... I, I knew look, that was number 29, and um, I thought, no, my time has come now, and, and uh, I, I've sort of done 29 cups, and I've called all around the world, and called in every state of uh, Victoria, Australia, I should say. So there were, there were no real goals to keep aiming for, and you know, I was into my, well into my 60s. I thought, no, it's a young man's game. I know I've been there, and I've done all that. So the time's right. Um, but gee, you know, 2018, 2019, uh, last year, this year, you get very towy, I still do, you know, when, when they're loading the horses into the barrier because I remember the 29 times I went through it, the butterflies and uh, how you felt. You, you, yeah, you've checked your colours, you know your colours. Take a deep breath because you have to breathe through your nose for the next three and a half minutes. Um, <laughs> pace yourself. You know, just keep building with your calls so that you get to the 1,200 metre mark. You're 1,200 metres from home or the 800, you're going up another pitch. On the turn, they race uh, at the 200. So you're going through and building through all these stages. And when they hit the line in the Melbourne Cup, you, you want to make sure that uh, it's not hysterical, that you can get it right. Your accuracy's got to be right. People have got to be able to understand you. And then when they go over the line, it's the greatest relief of all time if you've got it right. And uh, it's another notch to the belt. So it, the build-up is just incredible. And... Um, I just remember in the years that I was doing it, uh, you'd go and have a nervous one in the toilet just before the broadcast <laughs> box, and invariably you'd run into Greg Miles doing the same thing. We're alongside each other, and we'd wish each other well and have a good call, mate, and um, you'd lock yourself into a cocoon, and that's just you and the race, and, and you know, try and enjoy it and do the best you can, because you only get one crack at it, but... Uh, Oh, the pressure's off now. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier. But uh, I do I do still miss it, but it's uh, a young man's game. And, you know, Matty Hill, who calls now, and I remember him coming up to the box, you know, when 25 years ago as a, a junior, just he'd sit in the corner like a little mouse. He, would, he wouldn't get a whimper out of him. And 
and now I think he's the best caller in the world and we've got him right here. Yeah, um, Brian, as I said earlier, I back the things that come second all the time and you might remember this horse. She ran second a lot. Shogun Lodge was my favourite horse. Oh, yeah, yeah pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Did you yeah, back it too? He uh, just got beaten by Sunline, I think, in the Doncaster. Mm. He ran second in the Derby, for memory. He, he, uh, yeah, he did. He, he, was a, he was a brave horse, a very brave horse, and a, and a good Group 1 top performer. But he, uh, you know, so often on, on the day, he'd get nutted right on the line. But he, uh, uh, he, he was a good horse. But I, I remember him well. Yeah, I do. do. Do you like the sort of come from behind, flashy down down the outside type, or, or it doesn't sort of matter to you? I think for, for me, it's always oh, been something. That... Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. You know, when you think of Winks, how she'd sit off them and and you know fly home, and uh, yeah, there's something about and, and, and it never ceases to amaze me how horses can and jockeys can get the timing so right. You think this is flying and it's going to be too late. They get up and win by a nose. I think. They've gone over 2,400 or 3,200 metres, regardless of how far it is. How can they judge it to get up and win in that last stride? How does that happen? That's that's the thing that I just... I don't understand. I think it's marvellous, but it, it makes for the call, too. And people get excited, punters, owners, fans, broadcasters, uh, when you see that horse that flies home. And, you know, a little bit like Chautauqua. You know, they're yeah. out of the race and so like, you know, they, they can't possibly run a place. And they, they do grow wings. Um, and we've seen it time and time again, and it... It's it's one of the dimensions of the sport that uh, we love to be involved in. We, we can't go without sort of mentioning uh, Fields of Omar, who yes. uh, all those Cox plates, top three finishes, two wins. Yeah, super horse. Yeah, he was. He um, he cost fifty thousand dollars. He was passed in at forty five, and he cost fifty. And I I paid for him uh, with a syndicate, and then broke the syndicate up into sort of four lots of twenty two and a half and a twelve, and. Um, that's how it sort of all came about. We took 22 and a half amongst family and friends and uh, the guy who bred the horse took 22. And anyway, um, he, he broke down like he did a suspensory uh, on both front legs in, in the course of his career and was written off and, you know, was, was going to, it was a career-threatening injury and both times uh, he came back and actually got better when he came back. So he was, a, he was the bravest of braves and to think that you could have a runner in a cox plate, let alone run in five and just get beaten in a Caulfield Cup and uh, he cost 50 grand and at the end mm. of his career he had 45 starts for 13 wins, a lot of placings but in the bank he had 6.5 million so I've got to tell you it did it's change handy. the postcode <laughs> <laughs> Very handy um, now, Brian, just take me back to, um, uh, to 1990, mate. Uh, you've called races in Dubai, Hong Kong, New, New Guinea, Canada and New Zealand, but tell me what it was like. You mentioned you um, had a few nervous ones before um, the Melbourne Cup, but tell me what it was like in Japan 1990 when you called the Japan Cup in front of 190,000 and, yes. and um, uh, broadcast to every speaking uh, English nation in the world. Yeah, that was a that was a big thrill. Yeah, that was uh, 1990, and I knew the owners well. A bit of loosen up, and I travelled on the plane going over for three UZ to cover the race. Uh, and the build-up was fantastic, but it was an, an elite field. 1990, we had the King George winner, the French Oaks winner. A lot of people say um, it was probably the best field ever assembled for the Japan Cup, and we had this plain little horse who was an absolute star on the track, and he won the Cox Plate. Came from last, he won the McKinnon on. Derby Day, he won seven in a row and he was the best racehorse in Australia clearly, so he was going over there to have a crack at uh, 
in the big league. This was grand final day, and um, he came from third last. So I was, you know, I was watching him with one eye and watching the other newcomers that I'd never seen before with the other eye. And, um, and I saw him charge, and I just knew knew from his racing pattern. He, he never got beaten in photo finishes, but listen up, he, he'd get up alongside them and give them a bit of a nudge just to say, I'm here, boys, I'm here, look out, you know, and, and I could see him coming, and, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty magical moment, but on the day, um, I was up in a, in a sort of a gallery where commentators, it was an open gallery, like a real press gallery, and uh, I think there were about 15 Japanese race callers from all different radio stations and TV, um, a guy calling from Hong Kong, and we, there was no petitions dividing us. You just you're on an open gallery up on the fifth level in this massive grandstand, and hundred and just under 190,000 people were there. So you weren't confined to any broadcast booth or anything like that. And to get elevation from the binoculars and the stand that the binoculars and the microphone are all fixed on. I had to use three Tokyo phone books and a Coca-Cola crate just to elevate the <laughs> eye level and then got some gaffer tape to hold it down so I didn't fall over in the run. Um, so, you know, they jumped and I, you know, wasn't really accustomed to what would happen and when they jumped away, the wave of sound, the roar of the crowd, and there's no PA, thank goodness, but there was this massive roar and then they settled down and then they, the wave of sound, this cacophony of sound, started to build from the 800 to 600 and it was just, it was, it was just extraordinary. It was like a grand final crowd by two, you know. And it was just, a, and you had to sort of get up to a higher pitch just to make yourself heard. Um, and I thought he, you know, I'm pretty sure he'd won. And then the photo finish took an eternity. I thought, God, I hope I'm not wrong. You know, <laughs> all the way to the other side of the world. And if you want to be right, you're called the Australian horse first home and the richest race in the world. And Anyway, the photo went up, and um, yep, there he was. He'd, he'd won the Japan Cup, so uh. um, I think that's probably outside fields of Omar because of you know personal reasons. I, I think that uh, that call is probably one of the signature calls that people seem to remember me by, and you know, I'm happy with that. It was, it was a great moment in sport, really. You mentioned um, Matt Hill before, Brian. Is there anyone sort of coming through commentary or broadcasting at the moment as well that you're, you're really enjoying now that you, I guess, have a bit more time to probably sit back and, and watch and listen to others? Yeah, you do have a, you know, because you've been in the pr- profession, you know, fr- from a, a very young age. Basically, professionally, I, I had 47 years calling and I've probably been in the media working as a trainee caller. I went to Adelaide in 1970 as a turntable operator for the breakfast announcer and the second banana race caller to, to the demand over there. So, you know, I started there and came back to Melbourne in uh, 1972 and I've been in Melbourne since. So I had a little grounding over there and called everything that moved. Um, but you, you, you sort of, you, you see the talent. The talent uh, sort of shines pretty quickly and you know the ones. And I remember just listening to Matt Hill as a teenager. I thought, yeah, he's, he's, his voice is developing. He's got a good eye. He's got a good wit. He's got a beautiful flow. His breathing's right. Uh, you knew he was going to make it, and, and it doesn't surprise me that he... And I was hoping he'd get Greg's job when Greg retired because he was the right man for the job. There was no one within Cooey of him. And you hear a few of the... You know, you tend to sort of hear from young fellas that find out, you know, where, where they can send their tape to, and you'll get a tape and you listen to some of them. And you think, yeah. There's a kid, actually, I met on the train uh, back in... Uh, last year it was, and I'm on the train, and this little fella, or young Blake, he'd be about 19, 18 or something, and he, um, he had a suitcase with him <laughs> in the same carriage, and he came over and he said, Mr. Martin, I said, yeah. And he said, my name is so-and-so, and he said, um, 
I think we're neighbours because I live in Blackburn. I said, yeah, I do. And, da, da, da. and I said, where are you heading? He said, I'm going out, you know, to tape the races. I want to be a race caller. Good on you. So <laughs> I've heard his, uh, his calls and uh, he's good. He's good. And I just said to him, just keep going. There's plenty of time. And there are avenues like racing.com and radio and things like that. You know, he said, well, if I can't go to the races, I call them off the TV. I said, that's good. That's good. Just identify those colours. Get, get things right. And um, so there are a lot of young people around like that. And I've always felt that, you know, the race calling profession is in very, very safe hands uh, here in Australia. And I think over the years, people say we're, we've proven to be the best. And I think, if, you know, in your passage in time, uh, you're a part of all that. That's, that's comforting as well. You, you listen to um, overseas callers, Brian, um, and you hear that the way they call a horse race is a lot different to us. I mean, sometimes they don't even get through the full amount of horses in some... some is, do you find that a bit odd that they don't do that? And, and Australian racing and the way we call the race um, is much better? Yeah, well, it's um, the, the, the sort of the, the forefathers, you know, the people before me, the Burt Bryants and Bill Collins and Ken Howard and Sydney and, uh, you know, race broadcasting, sort of the pioneers were back in the sort of later 20s through the 30s and radio started broadcasting the Melbourne Cup, etc. So they were a lot slower. And if you listen to any of those old archival calls, they'd... Um, They'd say they're racing. You know, it was sort of very, very ABC style. There was no rat-a-tat-tat. But through the 50s and 60s, Mm. the rat-a-tat-tat rapid fire call started. Um, And those guys uh, before us then mastered that. And then we had lots of guys like Jim McGrath, who in the 1970s went to Hong Kong and then finished up with the BBC. Uh, He was a boy from from Turak. And um, Dad was a bookie. And he finished up the best broadcaster in, in England by a mile because he... And they called him Aussie, Aussie Jim because his, his style was so fast and, and accurate. And, you know, the others weren't comparable to Jim. The other uh, broadcasters there at the BBC, they more stayed. But Justin Jim being there, he's now retired from it. Um, those English callers are a lot more rapid-fire call now. And, and, you know, they've sort of got onto the global wavelength in many ways. And it's happened other places, you know. We've had our callers in Hong Kong and... Um, in the UK, as I say, and in America, there are a couple of guys calling over there. So, the profession, you know, is global, and I think we're sort of teaching them just by the way the cards fall that uh, this is a way to do it, and you've got to get through the fields. And but a lot of the audiences in those places, particularly in the states, they're, they're small fields, and the, the, the caller will just get through them once or twice, and only first, second, and third over the line, and not call the others. Well, if you did that back here, you'd only yeah. last one yeah. one race, you know. So. It's good that the profession is spreading and, and the standard. It's important for the standard to remain as high as it is. Commentary commentary and calling makes the event, makes the race. Yeah, and, exactly, so. exactly. Um, and you have done that in space, yes, right? You have. <laughs> we just need to get um, just an, uh, an Oaks Day tip off here, Brian, uh, just before we let you go, mate. Do you have anything you like in the Oaks? Yeah, well, I, I think... Um, Willowy can win the Oaks number two, but I've got a filly running tomorrow that's in one of my syndicates called New York Baby, and um, she's in race five, number two. She is a good thing beaten at the Valley last start when she missed the start, but she's got Barrier one tomorrow and D Oliver. She loves the work track. She won first up in May down at Warnable on a heavy eight, so this track's soft in any way. It'll just be a bonus for her. Uh, She's about seven bucks each way, so she's race five, number two, New York Baby. And our city owns 10%. So I'm going out tomorrow to get 
give her a cheer and the money's on. Oh, sounds good. good. Brilliant. And uh, just uh, for people who want your services, I know you do, you're still uh, working away. What? Uh, how can we um, get you if uh, we need you for things? Uh, if you pass away. Right, okay. Well, uh, part of my, my life now is I'm a funeral celebrant. I've been a funeral celebrant for seven years, and I get the old jokes about a box trifecta and all that sort of thing. But uh, I love this, this part of my life. It came and found me, I didn't find it. And uh, I'm yeah. doing two funerals actually on Friday, and another one next Monday, and another one the following Thursday. So that's a constant in my life now, and it's a it's just something that came across me and they said, do you want to do it? I said, oh, I, think I can. Yes, you can. And anyway, and it's just taken me out of my, my racing bubble, which is important in life. And uh, on top of that, I've still got 44 horses in the city. Gets, and um, we've got two in France, uh, one in Ireland, three now in Singapore, uh, one in New Zealand, and the rest are spread down the eastern seaboard of Australia. So yeah. about 300 people in the database. And... We own 5 and 10%, and one of them tomorrow is New York Baby. So I put all those together um, through my racing club. It's uh, Brian Martin. If you want to find me, it's info at Brian Martin Racing Club, all one word, Brian with a Y, dot com dot au. So we do all that, and... Um, yeah, so life is busy, very busy. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Well, you've uh, put a lot into your life, mate. As I said, 29 cups you've called, which was extraordinary. We loved uh, hearing your voice. Yep. And it's been an absolute yep. pleasure to chat to you this, pleasure, this evening, mate. Absolute pleasure, my end as well, guys. Take care, stay safe, and uh, talk to you again. <laughs> no worries. Thanks, Thanks Brian. Brian Martin there, absolute legend of Australian <laughs> horse racing commentary. My, um, my favourite part of having anyone involved in racing yes. on is when they give a tip and I see you two pull out the pens and start <laughs> frantically scrambling I and already writing put the bet on. every single word they say. I've already put the bet on. Well, we got one right. I think you listened to us Rally. last week. Damien Oliver tipped wrote. this one. Oh. It on Saturday. He would have put us well up if we followed him and... Uh, just my ears pricked as soon as his voice came on oh, there. It was uh, memories. I know. Memories, gamble yeah. responsibly, all that. Yeah, where did, where did the I horse mean, he was on end up coming in the, had, in the uh, cup? It wasn't Oliver. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it wasn't uh, the team. It was a too hot flush, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently it pulled up real sore in the morning. Yeah. Oh. Uh, that's what I was reading. Yeah, so it wasn't it was sort of never a chance. Oh, Should have been could have been scratched, but decided to pull, push it through. Probably not the ideal thing it's to do for me. Dangerous on a hard track. For that distance, yeah, yeah you've got to be very careful. Very, yeah, very but hot. They know what they're doing. The trainers better than yeah. we do. 